This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 420. And the quote of the day is, a quiet mind is able to hear intuition over fear. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, what's going on? Nick Ruffini here. I hope you're well, and thank you so much for, for tuning into this. This has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to get Larnell on this podcast for a long time, and the conversation we have is amazing. We get really deep into the idea of external influences and creativity and how you can use external influences in your playing and how that can affect your playing, how to read a room and being in the moment, quieting your mind, talking about space, all sorts of different things. And Larnell has a great way of explaining these concepts because that's what they are. They're concepts. They're not like specific things. And I talk about it in this episode about how it's not a specific thing that you can learn out of a book. It is more conceptual. It is more of a practice, meaning like a a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice, something like that. But Larnell does a very good job of of talking about how you can tactically go into the practice room or go into your everyday surroundings and start learning these these different skills. So an amazing conversation with an even more amazing drummer. So I am stoked to have him on this podcast. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with the one and only Larnell Lewis. Larnell, my man, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Of course, I have been I, I have been wanting to get you on this podcast for a very long time. So I'm glad that we uh, I'm glad that we can make it happen. And I thank you for taking the time, man. Where to start? So I I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you growing up in Toronto. I knew that I know that you grew up in the church. You started playing drums at what, like two years old or something like mm-hmm. that. Correct. And what is what do you think was the atmosphere? in Toronto at that time as you were, maybe as you were getting a little bit older and as you were playing drums, um, because I guess, and this is my, me being naive, but I didn't realize that there's, there's like, there's quite a music scene in Toronto. Oh yeah, absolutely. There is. Which I didn't realize. Yeah. So what was it like for you when, because you play so many different styles of music. So when you were coming up, were you just playing in the church? Were you only playing gospel music? What was it like for you? Yeah, growing up, uh, my dad was a musical director at the church, and he was into a lot of different styles of music. So he would make sure that, you know, we would touch anything that was Afro-Caribbean right down to funk, maybe like a bit of country. Like we would mix it up, you know, and especially Mm -hmm. for churches in in Toronto, um, in my area, they are um, of Church of God, specifically the denomination. Um, You'd find that it was heavily, you know, Caribbean influence, like a lot of people from the West Indies um, as pastors and their congregation were mostly people from the Caribbean. So, you know, you'd want to play on a lot of Calypso and a lot of reggae and a lot of soca, a lot of, you know, whatever the other rhythms are from the, that, that, that Caribbean scene, you'd want to infuse that into maybe some of the hymns or some of the choruses that we would normally play. Mm-hmm. And so stepping away from that a little more, my dad, knowing I was really into drums, wanted to challenge me a whole bunch and push me as far as I could go. He would just bring other styles and we would go to church, you know, on an off day 
and just work out different patterns and we would just jam together and make sure that I got all the cues and that he would just let me know what it was and we hit the tune and there it was. So um, definitely School of Hard Knocks, but learning through my dad, mm -hmm. you know, infusing a lot of different styles when I was younger, at least into, into the music at church. It's interesting that there's, it seems like there's always two different stories. So there's either someone like you who grows up and you're playing both secular and non-secular music. And then there's other people where it's like, no, 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 you're not playing any secular, nothing. Like you're going to play gospel and you're going to listen to gospel and you are going to play gospel and you're going to listen to gospel. And, and so there's a lot of guys who I or who I've interviewed that they're like there was no like jazz and funk and fusion and all that kind of stuff in in the house. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there was a minimal amount of that for me. Like for example, um, Ella Fitzgerald had a Christmas album that we listened to every single year. But then there was also George Strait, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and my mom loving country music. So. Um, when it came to, you know, me owning a stereo, like if I was playing Buster Rhymes or something like that, they would right. just come in and lock it off and say, you know, you don't want to be listening to that. What if you die in your sleep and you got that playing in the, like, you just, they're totally <laughs> You're like, what's wrong with Buster Rhymes? I like, yeah, I like man, Buster Rhymes. You know, you know, like, yeah, like this, let's, let's have it. You know, he's, he's Jamaican. He's of Caribbean descent. Let's, you know, but <laughs> he gets a but, pass. Yeah, but yeah, he can get a pass, but no, like it, it's, it was definitely strict. Um, you know, and we weren't uh, a very high income family. So even access to videos or DVDs or um, tapes or books, stuff like that, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of my dad, you know, really challenging me and pushing me to be as creative as I could be with whatever I could get my hands on. That's that's pretty much where it started. But I, I am familiar with that story. It's a little yeah. looser, but it's it's, it's pretty sort of the same it's time. sort of the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So were, was there a ton of music being played in your house? And, and, you know, when you're, when you're coming up, was it just something that you sort of toyed around with or were you serious at a young age? Um, well, music goes back to my great grandfather and, um, I have a memory of myself, my dad and my grandfather jamming, um, a couple of years before he had passed. And so he was playing violin, my grandfather, my dad was on keys and I was on a little practice pad set. I think I was maybe about seven or something like that. Hmm. And so instruments were always around. Uh, my dad's a multi-instrumentalist and uh, my mom sings. They had a band together. Uh, actually, I was sleeping in the bass case when I was at <laughs> rehearsals, you know. I've heard that and, story before, too. not specifically yeah. with you, but like other people would be like, oh, yeah, I, I would like, you know, sleep in front of the bass drum or something I'm like what? Yeah, I, what? yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was a comfortable bass case. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, was it a bass drum case or a bass case, like a bass all guitar? Bass, bass guitar, man, bass guitar, Fender. Oh man, they all have they have like the felt and like it's all plush and yeah. everything. I feel like I could sleep in a bass case now. <laughs> I know. I need a pretty large one now, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, what were you like? It was. No, go well, ahead, I was. Please. I was just going to ask what you were, what you were like as a kid. Were you a, like, were you a good kid? Were you a bad kid? Were you, what were you into other, were you into other things than, than drumming? I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a picture of you as a kid. I was quiet. I was a math geek. I was all about music and basketball. 
Um, down for the hang. Not interested in trouble. As soon as it came up, I would just say, all right, I'm out of here. Because yeah. I know who my parents are. And I got to <laughs> go home to them. And I don't want anything getting to them before I get to them, message-wise. So Right. Right. You know, but um, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty chill. You know, my brother and uh, you could talk to him. He's he's got a, a funny story about us growing up. He's actually a drummer as well. Yeah. I've heard you yeah. talk about him before. Older brother or younger yeah. brother? Younger brother. Interesting. Yeah, man. So how do you think that you influenced him? Because I know I have an older brother. My my brother is six years older than me. Coincidentally, when you were when you were talking about Busta Rhymes, I was thinking like, I got into hip hop because my brother got into it, but I was listening to like all this hip hop that, you know, like I started listening to Eric B and Rakim, but I was in like second grade, mm-hmm. you know, and people were like, where are you? Getting? But it was my brother that was, that was feeding all this stuff to me. And yes. were you doing, did you do the same thing with your brother? Were you like, have you hipped him to different stuff as you guys were growing up? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, what's the age difference between you guys? Two and a half years, two and a half years. Okay. So we were just joined to the hip. It was the closest thing to a twin, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, and before my sister came along, of course, she's uh, eight years younger than I am. Ah, uh, okay. So you're the oldest. Yeah. Yes, I am. I got you. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, passing music to him or having conversations about music, or you know, we would have a tape recorder. My parents gave us this, uh, you know, those one of those double deck or, or double deck uh cassette recorders mm-hmm. you really listen to radio play whatever you want you know dub tapes over yeah and we found out one day there was a microphone on it <laughs> and i can't find i can't find those tapes now but we what we used to do was we used to just find just video game music and play it in the background and just pretend maybe it was a newscast or or just just super creative just whatever just let our imaginations run wild or make up songs and make up little skits, you know, it, it, it would have been, what would it have been like? It would have been like hidden tracks on an album. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So man, if you could yeah. find those now and put them on your records, you know, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's going to take a lot of digging for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, we would do all that kind of stuff, but yeah, we were, we were tight. And, um, after a while, actually, once I hit college, I actually ended up with tendonitis. Forbidden had to stop playing, and so he was uh, helping me put my kid up once I got back into playing. And um, you know, he was at, he was with me at every gig, just sitting on stage, making sure I was okay. Any adjustments need to be made. Like, really, you had tinnitus yeah. or tendonitis? Tendonitis. Ah, in your in in what? Both my arms. Really? My forearms. Yeah. From playing. Playing, I was like, I, I really overdid it. Once I got to college, I was so excited. You know, um, mm-hmm. where'd you go to, where'd you go to college? Oh, I went to uh, Humber College in Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah, where I now teach or have been teaching. I got you. We're oh, we're yeah. gonna, we're gonna talk about all that too, but nice. So, um, yeah, for you know, as soon as I got to school, you know, it was an opportunity to really dig deep into piano and dig deeper into bass. So I was bringing my bass to theory class and using those because you know it's not like I can play you know, a Mixolydian scale on a, you know, indefinite pitched instrument, you could right. get close, but, you know, so doing all of that, um, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time who was on an exchange trip. So we were just 
you know, on MSN back and forth. So all that computer, all that bass, guitar, <laughs> MSN. drums, you know, exactly. And then all of that <laughs> lifting up. I got a gig every Friday where right. I'm like, you know, lifting gear up to, you know, two stories, like no elevator. It was insane. Mm-hmm. And then one day, you know, my arms just like, gave out. And wow. that was it. So, so from that, you know, my brother really started to hang with me, and and uh, you know, he was been a, being a bit of a younger brother where he was always joking, always laughing, always you know. And then one day, I said, "I'm not teaching you anything. <laughs> That's it." And then he just came back with this fire, man. I mean, playing, you know, these like Afro-Cuban patterns with like Lefa Clave playing the bass guitar at the same time had a conga in there it's like where did you how did you who are you (laughs) you're like show me that show me that thing that you're doing (laughs) yeah you know or something that would have taken me a few months to get he's just kind of eyeballing me and he's like okay and they'll just come out of nowhere and just slam it so yeah it always amazes me when people can just watch someone for a second and just Pick it up and be like, oh, no, I know what you're doing. I, get out of the way. I'll, I can do that. Yeah, he's, he's like, jerk. man, I've been working yeah. on this for months. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, but that was the environment. That was the kind of back and forth we had. And and he was always critiquing my gigs, too, man. Right. Man, you played, you played that drum show last week. Do something else. Because <laughs> I would record the gigs and we would listen to them on the way home. And Right. Yeah. Was it a... Was it sort of a... What was the dynamic like? Was it like you you guys were trying to just we, you were both focused on sort of you, or was it when you played your gigs the focus was on you, but when he played his gigs the focus was on him, and you sort of did the same thing with him, like dissecting his playing and doing all that kind of stuff? Yeah, eventually I would dissect his playing. He wasn't gigging as much uh, once things started to roll for me, and so when we had our conversations, it was just talking about the attitude in music and talking about the energy in music, mm-hmm. you know, because to, to sit in behind the kit at the time was a little difficult. So, you know, if there was a, a lesson to be learned in anything particular, or he'd ask questions and I would just go through it and, and his instincts started to really kick in just seeing it, you know, being as close as you could get without actually playing the drums and right. being at the rehearsals and understanding everything. So, it eventually just became about him and building his mind up and building his business sense up and, and just getting him to understand what the scene was about, how to maneuver. And then he just started to take off and he excelled really quickly and he's on a great gig now, you know? Nice. Yeah. Nice. You, you'd mentioned how you, you know, we were talking about how you would make these skits and record all these different things. And I've, I've had these conversations before with people who did the same thing. I did the same thing when I was younger. We made, we did, you know, skits, film videos, you know, did skits mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think that it's that creative sort of itch that we have as, as musicians, as creators outside of drumming. I know that you pull a lot of creativity from different areas and you would, you talked about the energy of, of drumming and things like that. Where else are you, where else are you pulling that? Where else are you pulling energy from? Where else are you pulling creativity from? And how do you get that into your playing? Like it's, I think it's, I, I understand, you know, when we talk about going and seeing a beautiful mountain range and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm so inspired by this. How do you take that then and incorporate it into your playing? 
That's a great question. Um, let's see if I can unpack it. So I would say for me, the way that I translate things that happen around me, um, you know, there's movement, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so for example, if I see somebody walking with urgency, um, you might relate that to being a little more on top of the beat and maybe changing your form. So, you, it, you know, the sound is a little more rigid. Um, you know, there's actually mimicking um, the gestures that people have and, and, and seeing what kind of sounds that draws out of the drums. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's also uh, the idea of, you know, seeing a full picture. So you're not just seeing a person, now you're seeing a per- person in an atmosphere. So, you know, a, a certain kit piece could, you know, maybe mimic the the energy or gestures or the motion or the attitude of said person but then there's also that relationship to their environment so maybe it's really serene and relaxed and you know bright sunny day you know so you got those kind of colors happening on your kit whether it's a, a symbol with a sizzle you know like uh, with rivets in it sorry or like you're rolling on a, a crash with a, a mallet or you're playing mallets on the drums and then you have this contrasting sound, which is really harsh or aggressive using a stick or something like a brush or some other kind of striker that you can get your hands on. So using, you know, that picture, that image to, again, create um, a certain kind of sonic picture mm-hmm. of sounds against each other and being layered against each other. Um, you know, when you think about conversations bet- between people, uh, back and forth, that power struggle when, you know, someone's being really intimidating and then, you know, the bully is being bullied, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it gets, gets flipped. So you think about that and you say, okay, well, you know, something is being really aggressive. And then all of a sudden this other thing takes over. So you know what that shift feels like in that conversation when the needle kind of starts to go midway and starts tipping the other way. I'm really conceptual. So let me know if it's going like too far. I'm loving this. Oh, cool. So, um, but yeah, like it, it's it's that kind of stuff that I I take and and try my best to translate through the drums because you know it to me just provides endless inspiration. You mm-hmm. look outside your window or you sit outside. You know, I I do a mindfulness um, exercise where I'll just sit somewhere and I'll literally just either call out any sounds that I hear as I hear them in real time or just call out the colors that I see or objects that I see in real time. And it just puts me in the zone of the here and now, you know, I'm not sitting in a garden, you know, filled with all this, these beautiful things and scents and smells and and, and things that, you know, could really Mm -hmm. um, make me feel good as far as like the sensory side of me. But then I'd be in a different headspace thinking, Oh man, I got to like study these tunes oh my gosh like right i send those emails oh my like it's just you waste that opportunity to stop and smell the roses literally mm-hmm. and so you know it that's another part of helping me when it comes to the way that i play drums too because i i like to actually take time because you know what it's like when you're playing and all of a sudden you know, you're like, man, that moment went by so fast. Or yeah. how long have I been playing this pattern for? And then you want to switch it, but you've only been playing it for six bars. <laughs> and it's like, it would feel better if you just played it for 10 more bars without a crash, 
you know, but mm-hmm. it, you, your mind is like going so many places and you forget where you are. And so it, it's really about just practicing mindfulness, practicing awareness, mm-hmm. um, musically spe- speaking, spatial awareness as far as the atmosphere. You know, I hear people totally telling stories about, you know, I think it was maybe Charlie Parker, who, you know, he was soloing. And then this woman came in that was wearing a, a red dress and, you know, might have played something that was effective or, you know, maybe it wasn't Charlie Parker, but somebody, you know, playing to the room, playing to what you are observing, being, you know, in the here and now is, is so inspirational. And, and I, I've had an opportunity to do a solo drum concert. This was maybe about four years ago and I plan to do another one in a couple of years as part of another project. But, um, there was a moment where, you know, I do all this soloing, I'll do all this stuff. And then I break it down to nothing. You know, it's it's very quiet to the point where you, people can start to hear and feel their own breathing. And then the room sounds start to come out. And so every time a sound comes up, I start to react to it. And I start to play off of it. So if it's the shutter of a camera, I'll reach for a sound that sounds similar, you know. And then huh. somebody might move. So I might rustle the drum head because I usually play coated heads. So I'll take my hand and rub the head a little bit, but I'm playing that quietly. There's a pulse going, but, you know, now I'm playing the room. Now I'm reacting to the people in the room and they become a part of this performance. And so that's kind of to wrap up my perspective of the things that inspire me and and being creative and using my imagination and, you know, understanding the space, the atmosphere and being very mindful of what's happening in real time. Those -hmm. are things that I really, really like to do as an improviser. And um, and I feel like it, it, it really helps even just when you think about what composition is, which is slowing down improv versus, you know, going the other way. So, right. Yeah. Huh. Well, so, yeah. man, there's I have a lot of questions. Uh, <laughs> what, one, especially with mindset, that is something that that I'm really tuned into. I have a I have a mindfulness practice, you know, that I do. I meditate every day and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It's amazing how much that translates into just your life in general. I think you become a better listener. I think that you become, you know, a better friend. I think that you enjoy your food more, all of those things, mm-hmm. aside from being a better drummer. Um, so, a couple questions. One, do, well, one, do you see in color? Or, like, uh, I mean, do you hear no, in color? I, I, I meant do you hear in color, not do you see in color. Do I hear in color? So, do you mean, do I, am I a sinister? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I forget what term. the name of the word is. Yeah, that you can see. What is it? You can you see, can hear. See colors and shapes when you hear sounds. Like, right. like it's multiple senses that that yeah. are triggered. Once I know you Jonathan hear Blackwell was like that. He would. He said that he could see. Like if he hit a symbol, it had a like he could see, hear, and see a color. Hmm. I don't see, but I do feel. I I do feel. Um, a lot of, uh, I don't know, just the way sounds like I don't have perfect pitch, but mm-hmm. the way my relative pitch works, um, I feel the vibrations in my body a particular way. Interesting. So I am, yeah. So I'm, I'm aware when I feel those things and, and those, like the way the, the chords and colors make me feel, I'm just like, that's not it. That's it. That's the one, uh, that's not the right, I might use the word color, but I, I don't see color. I got you. So the other side of it, talking about the talking about a mindfulness practice, 
you know, it's called a practice for a reason because it takes practice that you can't just sit down and just have that. Uh, what, what do you suggest if people want to start developing that? Where do you, where do you start with that? You know, like getting from zero to one because it's easy. I, I always say this, like conceptual things are the things that are so interesting to me because they're intangible, right? You can't just sit down and work out a page 37 out of a book until it gets <laughs> to 220 beats a minute, right? And now you're like, you know, now you understand this and you can feel this concept. So how would you suggest that people start to develop that themselves? And you're just speaking to my perspective on mindfulness? Or I th- or from in general? Mindfulness in, in, in playing and and the way that, you were talking before about taking some of these influences and starting to put them into your playing. Mm-hmm. I understand how yeah. you do it. How do, do you practice that? Do you, do you have ways that other people can practice that, that they can become more mindful? They can become more present in their playing. They can take outside influences and start interjecting them and that stuff into their playing. Absolutely. Um, let's start with playing in a band. Um, a couple things that you can do. One is eye contact. Making eye contact is huge. With the bandmates. With the bandmates. Because Mm -hmm. that you start to then connect not only with them, they then start playing something and you you notice what they're playing. You might look at their fingers, you might look at their face, they might have a stank face, they might give you validation, you know, there's a lot of things in there. So that that's that's one place, at least from my perspective or in my opinion, that one could start like you want to be aware of what's happening around you. Mm-hmm. And another thing you can do in those performances or even a rehearsal or a jam is when the song is done, or at least when the gig is done, ask yourself, you know, can you remember what the bass player played? Can you remember what the keyboard player played? You know, like, were you paying attention enough to actually understand what was happening? Can you sing some of those things back? So those are some things that I do suggest to people to help them with staying in the moment mm-hmm. and, and being connected to what's happening. When you're playing, you know, when you're practicing or jamming by yourself, um, you know, I, I think making sure that you you can start with like um, like one minute of silence where you just, you know, well, first of all, put your phone on airplane mode or silence or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so you could at least concentrate on the task at hand and start with just short exercises and be aware of like every four bars, what's going on. You know, Uh, I think what can happen sometimes is as you play or practice, your brain might shut off and the autopilot turns on. And then all of a sudden you've reached the end of the exercise You've reached, you know, you're like, I think I played it all. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I played it very well. Um, I'm not sure what I did, but uh, I'm at the end of the book and that's it. Meanwhile, you probably, if you, if it were to look like an obstacle course, you know, you probably ran over a few people and you right. ran into this and it's just, you know, it's like, it's like distracted driving basically, right? you know, right. running through some of these things. So it, it, it's, it's really about the, the, breaking it down to, you know, are you aware of what you just did? And are, are you aware of what you're about to do? Mm-hmm. So maybe eight bar chunks or even four bar chunks, you know, play a groove then stop. Then think about it or play a groove, 
and then, you know, for four bars, sit in silence for four bars. Take the two, think about what happened. Take the two more to prepare to keep going forward, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. So, yeah. Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonicleer Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonicleer Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonicleer Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. Hey, just because you sit at the back of the stage doesn't mean that you're not important because everyone knows the band revolves around the drummer. Why? Because you set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. And the easiest way to set the tone is to play Evan's drum heads with Level 360 technology. Thanks to Level 360 technology, Evan's drum heads fit perfectly across the shell and allow for increased tension to help you find your sweet spot. Plus, they take you well beyond the normal tuning ranges so you can get higher highs and lower lows. So now the sound you want will always be the sound that you get. To learn more, check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. Now let's get back into it with Larnell Lewis. The silence thing to me is scary for a lot of people. And I, I think there takes a level there takes a level of confidence to embrace that that silence and be okay with it. And I think that's why when people are nervous, they talk a lot. I think when people are nervous behind the kit, they play a lot of notes. That's just my cool. perspective. A lot of people say, um, I, um, uh, and they stammer. And to me, that's just, that's the equivalent of playing no extra notes behind the kit. Mm-hmm. Did you ever struggle with that? With, with maybe the confidence Maybe, I don't know. I guess the way that I'm trying to say this is like the confidence in, in your abilities, but the confidence in the silence and being okay with that. Absolutely. You know, and, and it, it took some time to be comfortable, as you mentioned, with the silence. Um, but the way that it came about was to actually use the silence as music, like to, to consider it as music, you know, not just to consider it as a rest. Mm-hmm. To play the notes as well as you play, to play the rests as well as you play the notes, play the rests with as much conviction as you play the notes, mm-hmm. you know, because they're meant to be there. Right. You know, that pause is meant to be there for a reason. And so it, 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 it came from a lot of conversations with mentors. Um, it came from, you know, conversations with people who were really profound in their drunk state. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. It's so funny that you say that. I just read an article. I was reading an article last night about why people are so, uh, so motivated and and uh, and motivated and maybe ambitious when they're drunk. Mm -hmm. And it was a really interesting read about. But go ahead. But but yeah, it was it was interesting that that you brought that up. Yeah. Nah, man. It's 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 you know they. what was it? What did, what did he say? I remember we were celebrating, I guess it was like the end of a, you know, performance week performance at the college at Humber. 
Mm-hmm. And this guy was really happy. He was really drunk. And he just came. He's like, man, your groove is just like, man. And he's like, yeah, a lot of people don't know, but it's about the space between the notes. You know, and he just starts clapping in this really slow, exaggerated way. And he's like, do you feel that? It's that space, man. That's the groove right there. Like, yeah. You know what, happy drunk guy? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> You are absolutely right. Yep. And, um, <laughs> you know, also following other musicians like Victor Wooten as well, who's definitely someone who understands mindfulness and understands using space, understands um, translating mood and changing the atmosphere, you know, from front row to back row of an auditorium or, you know, whatever the performance space may be. Um, you know, he's someone that definitely observes space and silence and respects it and uses it to his advantage. And so that's another person that influenced me when mm-hmm. it comes to that kind of stuff for sure. And what's that saying? The the person who, what is it like the, whoever the loudest person in the, in the room is usually, you know, the most insecure and like sort of the person mm-hmm. who is trying to, trying to prove something. Yeah, no, I mean, I've heard many versions of that. Like it, it's, it's, it's people trying to assert themselves you know, by making noise because they, they don't feel comfortable about their position. So they need to yell, you know, mm-hmm. their, what their name tag says or right. what their title says and, and make sure that you know it and enforce it as much as they can. Yeah, for sure. Right. And I think on every level, we all have this imposter syndrome, you know, like one of these days, everyone's going to find out that, that we're a fraud. And, and I don't know if it's, if that's what it is with, with playing where, especially younger players and less experienced players feel like they have to play all these notes because they have something to prove because they're, because they don't want people to, you know, quote unquote, find them out and figure out that they're just up there faking it or, or that they're a fraud or, or something like that. Do you think there's any validity to that? I think so. You know, when it does come to that perspective of, you know, the the fake it till you make it but i haven't made it so i'm still faking it but when i make it am i still faking it have i actually made it right you know like Mm -hmm. is it if have i made it to the platform or have i made it to the skill level which one is it so i think there's definitely validity in that perspective of if you're if you're speaking to the fear of you know not having it all together but being at the level where it's expected of you to have it all together and then trying to make up for it, like adding a whole bunch of like unnecessary condiments to a sandwich or whatever. Right. <laughs> because there's not much meat going on in there, right? Like, you know, or making the bread yeah. really huge and saying, here's a nice <laughs> big sandwich and there's like, nothing in the middle. So, yeah. so I, I definitely, you know, I, I, I can see that being a thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you ever suffer from that? Do you ever suffer from maybe, I don't know, maybe not imposter syndrome, but, but, fear and and self-consciousness about your playing or or if you're entering into a new situation or i mean you're an accomplished player so i don't know how much of that goes out the window for you oh no definitely experience it you know it's not something i talk about very often but it's actually i do in clinics or in conversations with younger musicians because they need to know it's real you know mike johnston mentioned something that was really cool and I don't remember where, what video, you know, I've only met the man twice. 
Mm-hmm. But um, he held up a drumstick, you know, and he said that, you know, think at the end of the drumstick, the butt end of the stick is where you are in your drumming or where the, the day you started drumming. And at the tip where the, you know, where the beat is, is the greatest drummer that you consider to have ever lived and ever played the instrument to ever be in the game. Mm-hmm. And reaching that level, that middle passage, that area, we all go through it. You know, we all see these like range, this range of emotions. We all deal with this stuff. And I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. you yeah, know, I think you talk about like it being a time. It's like a, it's a timeline. It's a journey. Yeah, right? it's a journey. You know, and we help each other across that timeline as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing I definitely talk about. And it's it, it for me, it came up quite often. You know, you you take in all you take in all this stuff. You study, you you practice, you perform, you listen, you listen some more, you shut up and listen some more, and you know, and people tell you, oh, you're not taking enough talking, enough telling. You know, you have to listen and take some more telling. And I'm trying to help you, and I'm going to save you five years and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And then you get the opportunity, and you know, for me, quite a few times, I stop and I'm just like, why did they ask me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't they ask that? Per- I know about twenty of the drummers that could cut this, but <laughs> but at the same time, you know, they to doubt why they ask me is almost disrespectful to their perspective mm-hmm. on music or what it is that they're going for. Because I see who I see when I look in the mirror. Someone else might see someone you know that can bring their music to a specific direction you know right so i might be interpreting their music a certain way saying here are your options but they're aware of their options and they've gone through them usually and they say Mm -hmm. okay i want you so i've learned you know to step back and just say okay i'm going to do my homework i'm going to learn the music as best as i can i'm going to make sure that they remain you know um like their belief in me and their trust in me will will stay you know locked and tight and sealed and i would just follow the instincts that i've always followed and they will guide me and let me know if i'm on the right path or not but mm-hmm. whatever the skill set i have is the skill set i have and you know they're it's, they're obviously calling me because of something that they've seen me do which means i could do it again and i'm just going to go there Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let them guide me. And so that's the conversation that I usually will have when I get into those positions where it's like, ah, this is amazing. Yeah. This is amazing. This is a wonderful. Wait a minute. But what do they want? Yeah. Can I, can I even do? I can do <laughs> this. I can do this because they believe I can do it. And I've put a lot of time in, a lot of work in. So I'm just going to prepare and mm-hmm. do the homework so that the instincts can take over. Because yep. if I don't do the homework, there's no room for instincts at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I, I might be playing catch up, you know, or I can really turn on my instincts and drive, but what they are seeing and what they really want won't be able to showcase itself or show itself or present itself because I might be struggling with the lack of information, the lack of the homework or the lack of, you know, right. Studying or whatever that situation is. So for sure. The one thing that you said that, that, uh, your skill set is your skill set. Like what you can do now is what you can do now. And interesting enough, Mike Johnson just came out with a video yesterday and he was talking about, he was doing a clinic or something like that. And he was really nervous. And I forget who told him, it may have been like, I don't know, like Dennis Chambers or somebody, but he was like, 
I don't remember who it was, but they said, look, Mike, no one can out Mike Johnston, Mike Johnston. Like, mm-hmm. Dave Weckl can't out Mike Johnston you. You know what I mean? And, like, no one can out Steve Gadd, Steve Gadd, and all that. So just you just have to rely on the skills that you have and just concentrate on being you and just do that instead yes. of instead of, like, you know, trying to be someone else or trying to emulate this skill set that that you don't have or or whatever it is. I I'd love to get your opinion about this because I have I sort of had this theory about about it being harder to be content and and I don't want to say content because I think content is is sort of like you're giving up but uh but being okay with where you're at along the journey because years ago the all the people all the drummers that we saw were the drummers in in the magazines and on DVDs and they were elite players they're all elite players because they if they are on the cover of modern drummer or they're you know they have a DVD coming out then they're an elite player now with the age of the internet if you're a if on a scale of 1 to 10 if you're a 3 then you see a guy that's a 3.1 and a 3.2 and a 3.3 and a 3.5 and a 5 and a 6 and a 7 and you're like all of these people are better than me mm-hmm. and like I hate using the term better or worse but psychologically you're like man this person's better than me this person's better than me. it's like everyone's better than me and i think that it creates this this thing that everyone has they're self-conscious about their their playing because it, it every day it's in their face mm-hmm. well, I, I don't know i could be totally wrong about that but i like what do you think about that man i i, I can definitely see that you know it is in your face constantly i mean if you like a drummer you're probably following them and they're probably just kicking you in the butt every post Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's like they're one step ahead five steps ahead you know five chapters ahead um 250 bpms ahead whatever it is and even now, like you'll see a six-year-old that'll blow your doors off and it's like 10 years ago you or you know you just wouldn't have seen that it would have yeah, never even well, it, came it, across your desk, you know? Depends on the circle. I mean, coming out of church, like drummers from <laughs> yeah, a young that's age, true. <laughs> it's just, it's just from, from my experience, it's just been like that. I mean, for right. example, we actually used to have, you know, and, and a lot of people don't like the idea of competition in church for musical, uh, for music competitions and whatnot, but it's definitely something that was helpful for my generation mm-hmm. because... Uh, the musicians in the church were not as advanced in some churches and some other churches had, you know, really a really advanced music program. It's just what happens. Like it's a community. Everyone comes together. Hey, you know how to play guitar? Sure. And then you got song service right there. You know how to play the organ? Yeah. You know, I have my grade one piano. Perfect. All songs are in the key of C. But when I was go- growing up, there were competitions called junior talent and teen talent. And so it was from those situations where I got a chance to see other drummers doing their thing and we would bring what we prepared mm-hmm. as a solo or, you know, as a band or the choir, whatever it is. And, you know, you also had a lot of amazing drummers coming to town. Like I had Calvin Rogers coming to town, you know, at least once a year um, to play with different dude. artists. Oh, my gosh. Man. I love that dude. Like I just every time his name comes up, I feel like I have to just professionally or professionally, uh, uh publicly just talk just mention <laughs> how much I love that. Like the guy's just like he's the greatest dude in the world. He's like an amazing yes. drummer and just an amazing, kind hearted dude. Like he did something 
for drummer's resource and he was supposed to get paid for it. And he was like, you know what, man? He was like, I'd rather you just take that money and donate it to someone who needs it. Man. Like, I just, I can't say yes. enough. Sorry. I, every time his name no. comes up, I just have to like publicly declare how much I love that dude. I am okay with that. Cause I love him too. I've been watching him for so long, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just his energy. Like I remember the first time I had seen him play, it was a live concert. He came to Toronto, Toronto. It was Queensway Cathedral was the name of the church, and I believe it may have been something like 1998, maybe oh, was a while ago. Yeah, and he came with um, John P. Key, mm-hmm. this gospel artist. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And John gave him a solo, and I had never seen anyone play drums like that before in my life. He was, I mean, 98. Like, he was live. young. Yep. And he was <laughs> You're smoking like, yep, them and drums. he was smoking them too. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. And so it was one of those things where every time he came, he was doing something completely different. And I know all the drummers the next day, because concert was Saturday, Sunday was church. We were all up in our churches trying whatever he was doing. <laughs> we were just standing there. It was a lesson. We absorbed everything we had as, you know, I'll date myself. You know, we didn't have no video cameras. We didn't have no right. cell phones that could tape. Nothing. Tape recorders didn't have access to it. Just had our minds and we had to just memorize it. And and an interesting thing, the word remember, you know, like I would get together with my friends and we would piece together or remember the the ideas that he was playing. So I might, you know, think of one part, but then someone else has another part of what he had played. And someone else has another part, and we're putting right. all those pieces together to, yep. to build the full picture of what it was that he had done, or at least what we kind of remember that he did. And that right. was the cool part about that time, because then our interpretations allowed us to actually develop our own style. So somebody else had a, a different version of doing it, or you know, they had to get it done a certain way because their technique, you know, maybe sent mm-hmm. them in a slightly different direction. You know, yeah. Yeah, um, man, these yeah. kids don't they, these kids don't realize how easy they had it, man. The struggle was real back in the day when you had to try to try to figure something out. You know, I think, but, but I think that like, I think that's that created a lot more deep, deep learning because you couldn't learn eighty seven thousand things because you didn't have the brain capacity to to have it all in there. Because now you can just access it. You know, exactly. Like you have and, it on YouTube still- or whatever. And it's still a different thing. Like it's, it's, it does, like you mentioned, it does present a different set of challenges now. Mm-hmm. So you, you say, you know, it, it was harder to retain and to, you know, piece together and to execute something that you might have seen happen once, maybe twice, maybe over the course of a night. And you, you go back and you work it out. And you're like, I think it was something like this. But then for the people who have access to it, you say, okay, well, there it is. So what are you waiting on? Go and get it. And then that pressure now, like you mentioned before, shows up where it's like, man, there's that person who, who actually got that lesson. They actually watched that, that, that drumio lesson. They actually got that, that lick or, oh man, they plus, they must've seen that Instagram video. Okay. They got that too. How did they get that? Man, I got to get it. And then, and then it becomes this thing of, you know, you know, why people are starting to acquire or learn or pick up stuff and pick up drum fills and the pressure that they're putting on themselves to learn the stuff. Mm -hmm. Not so much, you know, I mean, sure they want to try it, 
but maybe there's a, sl- a slightly different type of pressure, you know, which presents other challenges, as you mentioned, you know, where you are maybe not believing in yourself as much or it's in your face every day. So what you feel about your playing and what you have as a skill set, you just constantly wake up, you know, feeling like, man, I'm just not enough, you know, right. Right. Insufficient grooves, insufficient fills. It's like, it's just everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's rampant too. Like it could be like, depending on what accounts you fought, like it's like you see somebody playing drums and you're like, Oh my God. And then you see like another guy walking onto a private jet and then you're like, Oh man. And then you're like, Mm -hmm, this guy's mm -hmm. like got a six pack and you're like, Oh man. It's like everywhere you turn, it's almost like you're, you don't, you're not good enough. Uh, the interesting you know. thing, there, I think there's two sides of this coin. I don't, you know, we don't have to belabor this point, but I think it's an interesting thing. The idea of if you took ten drummers and put them in a room and put on an Alvin Jones record and let them listen to it, and then was like, "All right, take what you heard, go home, and come back in a week, and we, I want to hear like sort of your interpretations of what you heard." Or if you take ten drummers in a room, set them down and have them watch, you know, have ten drummers watch a YouTube video, let's say of you, of you playing, right? I think that those 10 drummers are going to come back and there's going to be 10 guys who are playing like you. But I think mm. with the Elvin Jones thing, they're going to come back and they're going to be 10 guys sounding like themselves who have an interpretation of the things that they heard Elvin Jones do. Yeah, for sure. There's not as much information um, to absorb. So you, you, you're missing you know, the physical aspect of how he might be approaching the drums or maybe mm-hmm. thinking about like watching him and, and just saying, Oh, I can assume the kind of like his velocity, like how, how, how he's coming at the drums. So if I come at the drums at that kind of, with that energy or that pace, you know, if I dance like he does, you know, there's so much more information in that, in, in a video, you know? Mm-hmm. And do you think that that's, do you think that's good or bad? Like, do you think it's creating clones versus the other side? The other side of it is creating, you know, individuals who are who are sort of creating their own interpretation of what they're hearing. Yeah, I, I think if I think if you let the program run itself, mm, you will I love get, that. get if you will get clones. I think if people are of the mind that it is possible possible to become a clone and that they need to be very specific about what they pull from that buffet of information mm-hmm. and not just consume everything then i think you'll get different results because people will be more intentional about what it is that they'll they'll get instead of walking or walking out with a bellyache you know right right, like, right. <laughs> and i think i forget who said it someone on the podcast i think it may have been uh ulysses owens where mm. he was saying that he was like you know, there's some people that that like, you know, they can read all of this information. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, there's you know, people can read all this information and then they can write a story based on that information. Or there's the other people who just copy and paste. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I think there's a lot of copying and pasting going off. So they'll go and watch a video of you and they'll like, oh, I'll take lick. You know, I'll take this lick that he did, and then I'll go watch a video of Brian Fraser Moore, and I'll take a lick that he did, Calvin Rogers. I'll take this Dave Weckl thing, and then now I have lick one, lick two, lick three, lick four, lick five, and then I just copy and paste it into my playing wherever I feel like stuffing it in, whether it fits or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's great because it really what it is is 
the, the question is, are you trying to write a story or are you just trying to hand in, right. you know, an essay? You know what I mean? It's like, right. it's, like get it, you, get your paper done or are you trying to say yeah. something? Are you, there you go. Are you trying to say something or are you just trying to get the paper done? It's, right. it's true. It's, it, it's that split. And I, I think, uh, you know, in, and in, in any facet of life, you could run into that dilemma, but you do have to be very, you know, intentional about what you're doing and pay attention to what's happening. Because again, if you just let it run its course, it's very easy to slip into those traps, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about the sort of the, I, I look at, I look at your career and, and the things that you do, like you sort of have different arms of your career, right? So you're a clinician, but then you're also playing live with bands, you're teaching, Obviously, when you're teaching, there's a different there's a different uh, agenda there because you're educating. But what is your approach like when you're walking on stage in a clinic versus when you're walking on stage for you know playing with a band? Or whether you're walking into a, a classroom, is it a total different mindset for you in each one of those different situations? That's and the question. reason why I'm and the reason why I'm asking this, sorry to to interrupt you. The reason why That's I'm asking okay. is because I think that you do something that a lot of people don't do well is I like a lot of guys are really good on the bandstand, not great clinicians or they're really good at being, you know, clinicians, but I wouldn't hire them to play in my band. And I think that you do all of these things very well. So I'm interested to hear how you've sort of mastered all three of those, those disciplines. Thanks, man. I definitely have not mastered them, but I'll, I'll say this for sure. Um, the atmosphere understanding it it starts it, it tells me a little bit of what to do so when i am walking on to stage like onto the onto the stage to play with let's say snarky puppy mm-hmm. you know i understand the purpose of that moment and the purpose of that moment is not only to play our songs but to provide entertainment and to provide entertainment for people who are coming from you know a crusty job or coming from an amazing date or Maybe that's date night for them or, you know, they are leaving a life moment that was really stressful or maybe it's the first time they're leaving their room for like two weeks because they've been depressed. Like you, you never really know where they're coming from. And so to make sure that I am touching the drums from a perspective of, you know, I'm here to play. I'm here to provide not only entertainment, but I'm here to express myself over this music. So that headspace, that energy is you know, it's not about me talking. It's not about me sharing. It's just me hitting go and just running, you know, through mm-hmm. the music. Um, when I'm in a clinician, you know, clinician mode, it's similar where it's, you know, I'm playing the drums and people, maybe they're not, they they wanted to show they bought the tickets or whatever, signed up to, to learn something, but maybe they're coming from a different atmosphere or situation that day than they had hoped. And so it's similar to walking in to a gig you know but Mm -hmm. i always call i always change it from a clinic i say this is a hang this is an open conversation and i'm going to teach you some stuff but i want you to feel free to speak your mind and you know i give them the opportunity to let me know how they feel about what i played like i'll play a groove then i'll play another groove then i'll play another groove over maybe one section of a track and i'll say okay how do you feel about those three groups? Like, what is it that you understand and you feel? So the conver- it's a different thing because there's like the conversation of, you know, I give you energy, you give it back to me. But now we're actually talking with words 
and talking about the experience and breaking things down and moving at a slower pace, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the headspace of, okay, I want you to get this. I can't stay too long, but I got to spread it out a, a particular way so that everybody grasps what's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. And then sure. when it comes to teaching in a classroom setting, you know, it's definitely open, but there's, um, you know, a syllabus or an agenda or, you know, we have things that we have to cover for that, for said class, you know, whether it's a master class or whether it's a private lesson over a semester, we got to get through it, but we can still slow down and observe how everyone's doing in that moment. If they mm-hmm. want to talk about life, we can stop and talk about life and then maybe quickly relate it to drums. You know, I've had students say, hey, you know, I'm freaked out. I have an exam. And it's like, all right, well, let's play about it. You know, let's right. let's not talk about it. Let's just play that energy I, out. Like you, I like this play. You know, and 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 really get you centered, so that you can let your instincts do what they should be doing, which is allowing you to flow through the information for the said exam. So mm-hmm. I think it's about reading people. I think it's about reading atmosphere, and and some clinics, you know, like it, it, people might not be very talkative. So I do have a lot more songs. And sometimes they just want to talk and I might get to one song, but there are a lot of questions flowing and I'm okay with derailing the plan a little bit because I feel like that might serve the moment better. So, you know what I think it is to sum it up, serving the moment is what I would say is, is what it is. Understanding ahead of time, planning for that moment, but serving the actual moment that you meet. Mm-hmm. And not the one that you have preconceived in your mind and imposing your plan on what's happening at that time. Mm-hmm. And I would guess that as your mindfulness practice, as you get better and better and better at your mindfulness practice, all of these disciplines get better as well. Or, or, oh, man. And I don't want to say easier, but you become more proficient at them, right? That's a great way of putting it. Well, there you have it. All right. I got a couple uh, quick fire questions for you. Sure. All right. What What are you motivated by? What motivates you? Mm, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, what am I motivated by? Hmm. Love. I like that. Uh, yeah. What's What's your proudest accomplishment? Ooh. My son and my wife, my family. I mean, having a family it's it's a beautiful thing. My son's eight months today. Awesome. My wife's birthday was yesterday. Yeah. So. Very cool. Yeah. So, well, congratulations on that. Or happy Thank birthday, you. I should say. Yeah. <laughs> or, or not happy birthday, but, you know, whatever. I think you celebrate every month birthday, right? <laughs> exactly. That's where we're at. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what's one thing that people don't know about you? Hmm. What is one thing that people don't know about me? Hmm. I don't know. All right, we'll skip it. Guilty. What's one of your yeah. guilty pleasures? Oh, man. I was about to mention some food. Go ahead. Man, cheesecake. I shouldn't yeah. have it. <laughs> I really shouldn't. I, 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 I have a title of being the unofficial cheesecake tester of North America. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> All right. Do you have any hidden talents? Um, I could juggle a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, can you juggle while you're playing? That's something I'm going to work on next, but a lot of people, (laughs) according to my Instagram timeline, have that covered. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And so what does the future hold for you? What are some things that, that you still have yet to accomplish? <sighs> Writing for an orchestra. It's hard, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've never, I've, I mean, I've never tried it, but I know that it's, it's, it's yeah. complicated. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. Orchestral arrangements. Well, you will get there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larnell, I want to, uh, I want to thank you for one, taking the time to chat. It was, it's been a long time coming for me. I've been, I've been wanting to get you on here for a long time and you did not disappoint the, the conversations about conceptual ideas, mindfulness, being present. Uh, I think that's, I think a lot of times, man, that's a lot more important than, you know, sort of the X's and O's and, and the page 37 out of the book, like we talked about. So, mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate you sharing that, but I also really respect the fact that you can eloquently speak about it and and put it into something that that the listeners can take away and start implementing versus just this like completely esoteric explanation that doesn't really help anyone. So so thank mm-hmm. you for that as well. Man, thank you for having me again. You know, I, I love great conversation. I'm always down to talk music and life for sure. And um, I've heard a lot about this podcast, and so I'm, I'm definitely honored and, and, and happy to, to be, you know, one of the people in the community on, on board with this. So thank you. Of course. It was my pleasure. And anytime you would like to come back, you are more than welcome, my friend. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Larno. No problem. That was the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Larnell Lewis. I hope that you got some great information out of that. And like I said in, in the intro, he has the ability to concisely and eloquently explain these ideas of creativity, external influences, mindset, uh, you know, being cognizant of, of the space, reading a room, all of that stuff. He explains it better than anyone I've ever heard explain it. So I hope that you can take some of those things and you can start using them in your own playing. And it gives you some insight and gives you a reason to maybe start slowing down a little bit, start taking in all of your surroundings and using them as inspiration into your playing. So with that, I will leave you time to now go into the practice room and and try to do that stuff. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. And don't forget to quiet that mind. Shh.